Welcome, Hiva Siddiqui, founder of Green Takeover. We are so happy to have you on Hemp Parents today, sister. Thank you, Joy. It's such a pleasure to be here. You're doing some of the most important work out there right now. You are teaching us. You have just taught me through your carbon literacy certification course, the only one in the United States so far that has been granted the authority to create and and perform these courses, um, teaching us about our carbon footprint. What is going on with carbon, carbon sequestration, carbon dioxide, we have carbon credits, carbon sinking. We we're, we're, have so much awareness right now, thank goodness, in the world on carbon. And you have formed an entire business on the awareness of uh, carbon and in healing the world through that awareness. So can you talk to us a little bit, first of all, about what brought you to this, this place of wanting to heal and wanting to make people aware of the greatest threat um, to our environment? Oh, wow. Well, it, it really happened by accident. I started, I spent most of my career in uh, strategic planning and operations and I was, you know, I was an accountant <laughs> and was helping small businesses build their business plans and get funding. And I came across a client who had just won a pitch competition and needed a financial forecast and the whole, you know, the whole ordeal for the investor. And she had a CBD topical. And this was in 2014. Uh, so of course I said yes and had no idea what CBD was. I started learning and doing my own research and just peeling all the layers around it. And, you know, she got the funding, uh, which is amazing, but I still kept learning more and more and more about what it can do and all its benefits. And as I started teaching uh, workshops to entrepreneurs about how they can incorporate hemp into their business uh, and support it somehow, I found that before I can even start talking about all the environmental benefits that hemp has and the performance benefits that it has, I have to start with the layer before that, which is, well, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Why do we have this climate situation? And just how you beautifully articulated the confusion in your question when you said, you know, carbon literacy, sequestration. I mean, there's just global warming, sustainability. There's so much happening and there's a lot of language around it that sometimes it gets hard to uh, strip all that away and just look at what is the basic essential question that we are trying to ask. That is what it's about. Um, and once we get to that and we understand, well, what's happening with nature as a result of that? Um, because the fundamental question is, how can we take a step back from nature while continuing to live with some of the conveniences and privileges that we've created for ourselves today so we can allow for it to heal and so that our practices can help accelerate and enhance that healing rather than disrupt it. For us to be able to understand that we need to know how it works and that's where that carbon literacy course comes into play. It's amazing because as aware as I thought, I certainly knew I needed to take the course, but the things that I learned in, in that course, they have lit me. I'm already pretty lit up for planetary healing, obviously, but the awareness um, of my own acts, and I consider myself to be just so fastidious uh, in even coming down to basically making sure that, you know, okay, so my tea bag paper wrapper with the wax coating doesn't meet the size standards for recycling and it has a wax coating, but if it did, I would recycle it, you know, all of those things. But the, the level of concrete sort of understanding and what, what I am doing in my own house that creates and what I'm doing in my own life I, I, that creates and contributes um, to this, this global problem it's really on steroids uh, now since your your course, especially my travel um, and it, what a 
what an, a, a tremendous awareness that was to realize travel is really the number one. And, and I, I'm excited to get into not straight up statistics here, but what is really, what are, what are our behaviors that are contributing the most to the carbon footprint here on planet earth? Um, but before I, I get there, I want to just say that those of us who have been in hemp for decades and, you know, came at it from an oil seed and fiber place and then to have hemp extract and cannabidiol CBD sort of hit us all eight or so years ago. Um, and so many folks who are real oil, seed and fiber people for hemp, you know, are like, oh, my God, CBD is taking over and every, people just want to talk about hemp extract, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I have recognized, number one, A, yay for CBD and feeding our starving endocannabinoid systems, but B, the platform that is CBD and the platform that is hemp extract is opened up the audience so tremendously to folks who are learning now about the other tremendous benefits of hemp as oil seed and, and fiber crop. And you're a perfect example of that. So when you say, and you were sharing with us uh, that you'd learned about, you were learning about CBD through this work that you were doing through your uh, client and you kept learning more and more about the benefits of it. And I was thinking, oh, she was learning more and more about the benefits of CBD. And I'm sure you were, but it sounds like you, you started, your inquiring mind started to learn more and more about the benefits of hemp in general, outside of, of hemp as an extract. Is that right? That's 100% correct. Because one of the benefits that's repeated often, because it is uh, tremendous, is the amount of carbon sequestration uh, while the, we're growing the plant. And so it does go back to agriculture. So to be able to look at that component and then look at all the different materials that hemp can be made into uh, really blew my mind. And that made me dive into the different areas. But then, you know, this is over six, seven years. Uh, and so as I got even deeper into, okay, well, let's look at what cotton is doing to the soil. Okay, let's look at, you know, I mean, I never thought in my life I would be interested in regenerative agriculture. If you told me 10 years ago, I would say, no way. But it fascinates me because we understand how everything really fits together. And the thing that blew my mind, aside from the environmental benefits, is when we look at the performance of these end products. So with hemp, we're not saying, hey, let's settle for this option because of the carbon sequestration and the versatility of what it can produce. And, you know, it's maybe a lower grade product. No, we're saying actually the end product is going to outperform its alternatives in most of the cases. And so that's just mind blowing in, in so many ways. It just makes good sense. Environment aside, climate aside. I think even probably during the course, it came up. I, I vaguely recall during one of um, during one of the classes which I love because they're live, they're interactive. I mean, it's wonderful community building and we get our questions answered and commune with each other. It's just fantastic. But um, basically, I often say, because I, I moderate these panels and I, and I get these incredible human beings who have, you know, leveraged every bit of credit and, and capital that they have had to deliver on their vision of a building material or a, a, a plastic, a bioplastic that is made with hemp or has incorporated hemp into it. And then I, I get them on stage and I'm moderating and I'm saying, why did you choose hemp? And, and inevitably, and God bless them, you know, they want to talk about right away the environmental benefits of hemp. And, and But I want them to focus on the superior performing aspects of hemp. They're just such wonderful humans that they always say, well, because environment. And then it's like, and well, because way better product, you know, and, and it's not that it's way better every other with every product. Obviously, we need to keep our critical thinking hats on with hemp. I've certainly seen, and as I'm sure you have too, Hiba, Folks who say, oh, if this plastic is made with hemp, it's biodegradable. Like, no, it is not automatically biodegradable because someone has incorporated hemp. It's less toxic because someone has incorporated hemp, but we need some other markers there to actually make it compostable, biodegradable, et cetera. So keeping that critical thinking hat on, but, uh, but by and large, uh, generally speaking, it's, it is going to improve your product. It is the longest, strongest 
fiber in the world, um, second only in strength to graphite whiskers and carbon nanotubes, you know? Um, so it's really just, it's really just such, uh, such tremendous stuff. So you caught me there at the beginning and I, and I think this is just a wonderful segue and that is the CO2 that the plant absorbs while it is growing and locking it in and then it's locked into these other products. So can you speak to us a little bit about general so that we can give maybe folks a little visualization here generally around carbon, carbon sinking or carbon sequestration with uh, trees versus hemp or hemp versus other crops. Sure. Right. And so what happens is during the photosynthesis process, hemp is taking in the nature of the plant takes in a lot more carbon dioxide than many of the other plants because of the nature of its fiber. And it has re its roots grow very, very deep and they're very interconnected and webby. And so what happens is in the end, it's absorbing all that carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and it's feeding it back all the way through the roots back into the soil. And so that's how it's able to rejuvenate it and take in what it's been able to even more than what it puts out. Um, and so that's one of the ways that it's truly able to not just sequester the emissions, but be able to rejuvenate the soil at the same time um, and be able to feed it back with natural nutrients because it doesn't need a lot of fertilizer. And really the reality is that it simply another example of the relationship between humanity and the plant, between the planet and the plant. It is a very unique aspect of the plant, its ability to convert um, you know, this, this carbon dioxide unique among all of the other thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of plants, uh, on the planet. Also unique that we have an endocannabinoid system <laughs> inside of our bodies that only reacts with cannabinoids, whether they are endocannabinoids we make ourselves or phytocannabinoids that come from, come from plants. Um, and then if we could talk a little bit about when you say rejuvenating the soil with carbon, if we could teach our listeners a little bit about what you mean by that. Sure. Um, and so what happens is think about, I actually got the opportunity to see a live composting when I was in Oregon um, two weeks ago, which is pretty interesting because if you think about it, um, soil needs microbes for it to be healthy soil like any living ecosystem. It has a range of different microbes in it that keep it healthy. Worms, for example, uh, in, in the soil, as well as like as plants are growing and we have worms and with leaves falling and the compost, it's worms are literally pooping, uh, which is feeding the soil um, and being able to keep that nutrient in it in a natural way. Um, and so when we're and not to mention the nematodes and all that live teeming with life ecosystem that that exists underground that exists today exactly and the reason that's important is because when when we have healthy soil we have healthy plants we have a thriving ecosystem that those healthy plants then in the end produce healthy food uh, we have healthier people but if we look at a lot of common practices today, when we're using synthetic fertilizer over a long period of time, or where we're engaging in practices uh, where we're growing the same crop over and over and over, what it's doing is it's taking out and sucking out all the nutrients from the soil and not replacing it with anything that's, for better words, real, right? We're giving it fake uh, energy uh, to operate. I, I think, you know, perhaps like steroids where we're pumping it up with, with these fake steroids to operate. So yes, we do see plants growing. Yes, how healthy are these plants and are there microbes in our soil or not? So when we have a healthy soil that's full of microbes, it's absorbing and taking in that carbon dioxide because carbon is a part of life. I mean, carbon is essential for that cycle. But when we have land that is dry and eroded, with no microbes, what happens is all that water, all that vapor goes back out and it just starts drying and drying and carbon dioxide is going back into the atmosphere, bouncing right back off. That's why soil is very important. It's the second biggest um, carbon sink after oceans. 
Oceans, then soil. And without that soil, as my listeners know, without those top six, six inches and rain and farmers, we are all dead. You know, and what's interesting too, and, and that's something that I learned in terms of the contribution. I, I thought that it was fertilizer itself. Certainly the effect of fertilizer has this, you know, tremendous um extraordinary exponential uh, impact on on the footprint. Um, but uh, but certainly I think in the in the manufacturing and processing um, of those fertilizers, we have issues as well. An, an interesting topic there, just as it relates to hemp, because, you know, we're always, there are things we want to make sure that we, you know, speak clearly about, because I used to, and I, I said this to you many times, I think during the course, in the early 90s, we would shout from the rooftops, you know, this stuff grows anywhere, it doesn't take water, it doesn't take nutrients or up fertilizers, any of those things. And in many regions, it, it does not. Uh, I, I've been to some beautiful farms in Holland, gorgeous or soil, just beautiful built soil, wonderful regenerative agricultural techniques, they do not add any fertilizer at all to their gorgeous hemp. Conversely, you can go to Canada. And in Canada, they're already up to about 200 pounds of nitrogen per hectare. And they have not even hit maximum yield yet because and it's just different soil health. Um, at the same time, uh, in Canada, they're doing, they're, they're, they've so far ahead of us in many ways because, of course, they federally legalized hemp cultivation uh, in 1998. <laughs> so um, have done just some tremendous research there and are mostly also on a no-till regime, which, of course, is germane to this conversation because when we're talking about tilling, it is equivalent, basically, of a, a hurricane or a tornado running through your city when we take a tiller and we till that soil, that beautiful, complex, teeming with life ecosystem that works so perfectly uh, to, to build that soil to create nourishment for life on Earth. It is everything. And as you beautifully described, the completely devoid of of living an organic matter soil, which is otherwise known as dirt, which is a tremendous problem in California, because then it creates this dirt can't even really hold water anymore. So now we're getting landslides in California. I mean, it is the the devastation and the impact of of this these types of agricultural practices, non regenerative agricultural practices you know, uh, that, and in these practices that have been going on for years and years are now resulting in these, in landslides, in horrible fires because of what we have done to the soil. Do you agree? A hundred percent. And actually that's, you know, one of the key messages I feel in, in the course as well is how everything is so interconnected. One change in one area, uh, the fact that our soil is dry doesn't mean that, oh, we have to worry about food. It means everything around it, everything that depends on it in every shape and form is also being impacted. And when it's impacted, everything that relies on that second ecosystem is also going to be impacted and so forth. And that's what's happened. We're disrupting so many of these ecosystems that it's starting to collapse. Let's talk, if we could, then about, and it was so interesting, um, you know, because so much of this awareness around carbon literacy involves showing us the terrible problems that we face here, problems that could be perceived as totally insurmountable or hopeless. And yet you, we've got the job here of saying, no, there is absolutely hope. There is absolutely a way out of this. In fact, all of this is just lessons so that we can create a better world. But it, without knowing exactly how terrible the problems are, we, we really can't understand uh, how to fix them. And so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the major things, the major gases that contribute, the greenhouse gases that really contribute to the problems that we have in our biosphere. And I was wondering if you could just um, tell us a tiny bit about each of those five, obviously the first one being carbon dioxide. Absolutely. So carbon dioxide is the first and it's the most uh, abundant of them. So about 75% of all greenhouse gases or excess uh, is carbon dioxide. 
And the main source of that is related to burning fossil fuels. So we can break it down into a couple of different categories, whether it's coming from the transportation industry or from manufacturing or construction. Uh, But in some shape or the other, it's related to fossil fuels, uh, obviously cement um, and some of the other practices that we have, carbon. Plus landfills, which is a good segue to the next one. So landfills. um, So about 50% of gases that, that come from landfills are carbon dioxide. The other half is methane. So that's a, another source, as well as thinking of our commercial practices. This ties in with what we were saying earlier uh, when we say, you know, beef is bad for the environment. Well, beef in itself, a cow in itself isn't bad for the environment, right? If it's eating grass and it's on a farm and that are applying certain practices, but when it's in a feeding lot, you know, crunched together with a whole bunch of other cows. I don't know what they're eating. There's no grass under them. I mean, now it's becoming um, a major emitter of methane. Uh, When we're chopping down forests, uh, which we, you know, it's quite a common practice to grow food for livestock. Again, now we're chopping down a source of sequestration for that's the first one. And then the second one's methane. And then the third one is nitrogen, uh, nitrous oxide, which the problem, the main source of that is coming from uh, fertilizer um, and synthetic fertilizers that we're using for common practices. You know, it's interesting if you notice, if I do say so myself, a lot of what I'm saying is common practices common practices. Uh, That's really the problem that we have. There are other practices that can give us similar results, maybe not the same capacity right away, or maybe not the same, you know, scale of production that we had anticipated using these other materials, but we can still get there. It's just a matter of changing practices and adapting the systems around it so that we can function more easily and efficiently in those practices. Aho is what I have to say to that. <laughs> so we carbonite, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, two more. So um, hydrofluorocarbons are typically, and uh, as well as chlorofluorocarbons, which we get from aerosol sprays, but those aren't as common as they used to be. Um, there's been regulation on that. We only typically see them in personal care products, but hydrofluorocarbons or HFCs we use those in refrigerators, air conditioners, they're coolant agents. Um, so that's the other source. And then we have sulfur hexafluoride, SF6. And the main source for this one is it's used primarily uh, as a prime electrical insulator. Uh, it prevents uh, shocks and can help res- you know, prevent fires. And so it's a safety measure. But the problem is it's used as an insulator, but the gas still leaks out. And so that's where that issue is. I feel it's also important to note on that point that when we think about electricity and so forth, it's important to think about where it's coming from. So, I mean, right now we have this as a solution, even with windmills that we're building, we're still using this as an insulator because it works and we know how to operate with it. So there's a lot of room for innovation and finding new ways that are more... um, you know, friendlier uh, and more conscious of uh, the world around us. I mean, an in walks hemp. It's like I'm gnawing a hole, you know, on the inside of my cheek. You know I am. And we say the word insulation. It's like, ah, I'm going to do an insulation dance right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We just can transform everything with, thank goodness, the liberation of this plant, reclaiming its place in the broad light of day with the rest of America's and the world's uh, agricultural crops. Another amazing, I mean, I, it was nothing but incredible. The entire, each class throughout the course, um, something simply blew my mind more than others, but it was basically mind blown. Um, let's talk on something that really I did find quite surprising and counterintuitive. And that was on our, our second class, uh, we were discussing guessing the carbon footprint of basically different forms of communication. And uh, we had to guess between um, just an, an out-of-state letter. So somebody had write the letter, put it on paper, stick it in an envelope and send it through the mail system and have it get delivered. Uh, or a three-minute phone call um, or an email with a large attachment. And I th- I'm hoping that that is a good setup for you to explain 
the order of carbon footprint and why of those things I really would love for the listeners to know. Sure. And so the highest one with a carbon footprint is going to be the out-of-state letter. And that's because of the transportation, the emissions from transportation, and typically because we're using fossil fuels for that. So the out-of-state letter would be the most. Uh, Next would be a three-minute mobile call. And then last would be an email with a large attachment. And the reason is because sometimes we don't necessarily think of our digital carbon footprint. Uh, And that's something that I learned as well as part of this whole learning process in the past uh, several years, where we don't necessarily think about all the energy required for the system and the network uh, of how the message is actually going to go through and get to uh, the person we're sending it to. Those data centers use a lot of electricity to send, filter, and store messages. There's a statistic that says emails travel an average of 9,300 miles before they get to your screen. So keeping that in mind is interesting when we think about, okay, how many emails we send, how many newsletters we're signed up for that we never really read. Can I unsubscribe from a couple? Do I really need to CC five people on this email? Just being mindful of those actions because everything does have uh, a footprint. And it's so interesting because my first awareness of the footprint or the, the space that seemingly invisible data, digital data takes up came because I, you know, have a I have had a dual career as a senior paralegal in some of the high-end firms here on the West Coast, along with hemp. Um, and in those high-end firms, uh, those ginormous multi-million-dollar cases that I was assigned to, there would be literally hundreds of thousands of documents that would unpack into millions of pages, right? And we have servers and and server space costs money, especially if it had to do with uh, litigation management software, because that there's a third party generally that is storing that, that data. And uh, so anything that we could do to keep that data down uh, was we had practices and protocols uh, to make sure that we weren't just being gratuitous with the amount of, of data that we were storing because it had an actual financial cost. Well, what I learned through your course was that it has a physical planetary cost as well. And it was mind-blowing to me that, um, because certainly I guessed that the physical out-of-state letter would be the one with the highest carbon footprint. It seemed quite obvious. We had to manufacture paper, glue, pen ink, uh, the, the planes and trucks that get this little letter from point A to point B. It, it just seemed quite obvious. What I began to learn, though, through the, through taking your course was the kind of actual sort of physical space uh, that this takes up. And could you elaborate on that and maybe even talk about, I think a good example for folks would be a bit Bitcoin, if you could sort of explain to people what what Bitcoin, what that happens there, and then talk about really, again, maybe our own email and a couple of solutions um, for keeping our email clean. Sure. So I'll start by saying I don't know anything about Bitcoin. <laughs> but what I can tell you, the energy centers, yes, the amount of energy that it requires. And really, Joy, if you think about it, it all goes back to where is our energy coming from? What is the source of that energy? So certain activities, certain functions are going to require a lot of it. To live in this interconnected you know, global world that we live in, we are going to require energy. The problem we have today is, you know, well, a couple of problems, but one of them is we don't have the technology and the ability to produce the same amount of energy, that clean energy, as we do from fossil fuels. And so that's a big gap that we have. And so until we can figure that part out, um, there's always going to be certain being mindful of how we can find and replace certain energy. How can we try to minimize the amount of energy that we're using? But y- you see what I'm saying? And I, and I think that this is also an important point because while obviously I agree with everything we're saying here, <laughs> it's important to note that, how, you know, or to be aware of that line of consuming information versus being consumed with eco-anxiety. 
and being able to say, okay, you know what? Yes, my emails. <laughs> okay, I said I wasn't going to send out those cards in the mail and I'm sending emails and now my emails I can't even send. And it's not so much about what to do or not to do. And I really hope that that's what, you know, um, uh, a, a key people keep message people keep in mind. It's not about telling you to do something or not to do something. You know, certain a handful of things are black and white, fossil fuels versus clean energy, for example. But when we come to actions and where we can make a difference, it all comes down to you understanding the impact of your action as step number one. Um, step number two, being mindful of when you're doing it. The same way when we want to change any practice, which starts by noticing when we're doing it and when we're not. Um, and then being able to make changes that make sense for us in our life that are going to help reduce our emissions. So it's not about being, you know, if you're, if the nature of your work, your main income generation is related to travel, no one's saying don't travel, but be mindful, take a quiz, know what your emissions are per year and set a goal for yourself. Okay, I'm going to reduce one ton this year, right? And then you can pick where you want that to come in and go from. And that's an amazing contribution if you're able to do that and feel good about it, right? Don't feel that. Absolutely. And, and you, you empower that awareness and those quizzes through your course. It is just like, it's so empowering, Ahiba, to be able to really see. And I thought that, you know, I just couldn't believe my transportation score. I just couldn't believe it, Ahiba. <laughs> the planes, the planes. And I was so grateful when a, when a classmate you know, as I sat there beating the crap out of myself over it, um, you know, that a classmate said, but Joy, you're doing important work, you know, and it's important for you to get to that conference and inspire and teach. And, and so, you know, then you have to make up for it in, in other ways. And, um, and certainly I'm doing that. And also, uh, you know, supporting when I, I, all of the things that we're talking about here, and as we talk about fuel, energy, fuel, energy, obviously, what do you think I'm thinking? Hemp, 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 hemp. Um, so we're talking super capacitors, methane, biodiesel, if we wanted to use the seed for that, you know, pellets, the, the pellets that are made from hemp herd, that inner woody core of the hemp stock for our listeners who don't know, um, you know, they burn cleaner than wood and they have just as many BTUs as wood. I mean, it, and when we, and we can talk about charcoal, what are we doing mining coal when we can create amazing, you know, biochar or charcoal with this incredible, most valuable biocellulose on earth? Uh, which is hemp. So supporting research that goes into this, there are all over the planet, people are researching and developing uh, how to scale up uh, these forms of energy from hemp. You know, Carl Martel is one of my just absolute heroes, a Canadian gentleman who I think has been in Paraguay for quite some time um, throughout COVID because Paraguay is actually putting up, opening up the green red, the green carpets for everybody and, and removing a lot of bureaucracy for folks who want to get into real deal R&D on these exact high value materials that we're talking about made from hemp in Paraguay. But in any event, a few years ago, um, we were at a Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance conference in Calgary, and he was uh, charging our phones and tablets with something that essentially looked like a little small piece of hemp creed in a wood mold with a wire sticking out of it, you know, and I, I think he had some carbonized hemp fiber in there. So also supporting folks who are doing this research um, and, and supporting these industries because uh, the promise, the promise is, is here. We just now need to deliver on it. Our ability to deliver on the promise is here. And when I say here, I'm talking about the United States and certainly other countries, many other countries um, that have thus far liberated the plant and, and so many more um, coming on. Could we talk a little bit about the low-hanging fruit as it were, of how we can improve on our carbon footprint. Um, and, and could you give us some examples of those easy ways that just are just such a quick and easy way that folks can start healing the earth right now? One of the quickest ways is to lower your consumption. 
just right there. Think about what you're buying. Do I really need this? Uh, is there a substitute, something that I already have? How long is this going to last me? Am I buying it with the intent to keep it? Or do I have that throwaway mentality? Am I stepping into that? Uh, because it's it's such a common uh, thing right now. Uh, so being a mindful of our consumption is number one. And can I qu quickly get in there, sister? Thank you so much for letting me. Is another piece to that is the reality and we didn't we didn't address this in, in the course thank god we would never have gone to the carbon part because it's a whole nother course so let, let's talk about here for a moment and that is shopping and consumption and buying things you know for many people is a straight up addiction but for the average common human being including myself that i have to you know go oh wait a second joy it's simply feeding a jones it is Feeding a need, an emotion. People eat food to feed some emotional thing without even realizing that they're they're having an emotion or a thought inside that is triggering something that is producing some form of anxiety. Then all of this is going on in a nanosecond, totally in the subconscious realm. And then we're acting on it. Uh, I want the chocolate now. I want the cake. Oh, I won't go to the gym today. Oh, I'll buy a new pair of shoes. So when we ask ourselves doing these behaviors, especially those of us who are, if there's one thing COVID taught me, it's that I can live for a whole year on five t-shirts and two pairs of sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> and, and frankly, inequality for all that tremendous film that uh, former uh, secretary of labor, Robert Reich produced some years ago and a new one saving capitalism, but he has right here from Seattle. I'm in Seattle. There's a gentleman that he features in inequality for all a billionaire, a true billionaire. He is in the film going, I have a billion dollars. Like I can literally do anything I want in the world. But do you know what? I really only need two pairs of jeans. And so he's so so really folks needing to ask themselves to, to come back around to the original first low hanging fruit, your consumption. Ask yourself, do I need this? Maybe another question, if you really want to heal not just the planet, but your mind and our, our souls and our hearts is, why do I feel like I need this? Exactly. And I say, I agree with you. And I say also in a gentle way, asking that in a gentle way, in a, from a place of mindfulness, right? Why do I need to buy this? Do I really need this? Do I, or have I just become, is this just a habit that I have that before I do this, I end up buying something? Or did I just have an uncomfortable interaction with somebody and it caused me some anxiety and I didn't even realize it. And instead I just went shopping. Exactly. And that's where being mindful comes into play. And and that's also why I feel that the, our language, you know, eco-friendly, I don't think it's about being eco-friendly. I think it's about being eco-conscious. And it starts with ourselves and everything that we're doing. So another example would be uh, when we're talking about food, you know, some things I can do right away. Well, one thing you can do is you can start to buy local fruits and veggies. I mean, that just slashes the transport emissions from food that's coming from across the country or from, uh, you know, a different country even. And buying in season, because if you're eating what's in season, then there's no need for it to come from anywhere. And it's locally grown. That's one simple thing that people can do right away with your fruits and veggies that can help make a, a difference. Planning your errands. If you have things to do in five different places, don't go every day, run one errand. Plan them for one day. Plan your route ac accordingly. So again, going to being mindful. Sometimes we think it's something grand, like I have to put solar panels. Fantastic. If you can afford it, wonderful. But no, that's not what we're saying. We're just saying we need everyone to do a tiny, tiny bit. You know, it's, um, I, I like this where we have to think about it. We don't need a handful of people doing it perfectly. We need a million, millions of people doing it imperfectly. That's really how we're going to make a difference. So being gentle with ourselves. Yeah. So, and, and I, I'm so grateful uh, for your emphasizing uh, that gentle is the way. Can we talk now a little bit about the certification itself and how you came into uh, being the first and only person in the United States uh, who is able to conduct and facilitate these certifications? Yeah, you know, I, I was surprised myself. <laughs> um, I took the course uh, a while back uh, and I was interested in improving my own knowledge uh, about climate change and 
going back to, you know, answering what that question is and better understanding what is it we're trying to solve and what is the source of the problem. And I was mind blown. Uh, I learned a lot of information and I thought I was, you know, I'd been working in the field for a couple of years, four or five years, and I was mind blown. And I figured this is something that is wonderful. I would love to share it with my audience. I would love to share it with everyone to help establish that one-on-one layer of here's what the problem is. And I couldn't help myself during the course when I was taking it myself, um, Every time she brought up, well, here's a solution for me to type in the chat and hemp can do this and here's a link and hemp can do this and here's a link. And so I figured, you know, this course has to have hemp and that's why it's the first carbon uh, U.S. designed carbon literacy certification course accredited by the Carbon Literacy Project in the U.K. And it's the first one ever to include hemp as a solution as part of the course itself. So I am just really... I mean, I can't believe I didn't open with that. My whole body just lit up when you said that. It's not just the first one. It's the first one that incorporates hemp as a solution. Yes. Wow. Oh, you are such a gift, Lady Jane. You are such a gift. How um, can people know when you're, where your courses are, when your courses are being given? I mean, and this is, this is basically for all ages. I mean, maybe not for super young children, but the reality is there's like avatars being born these days. I mean, this, this seems like you could be teaching this to every age range. And, and there certainly was every type of human in my class. Yes. And you know, it is encompassing a whole wide of, um, age groups, with Green Takeover, what we're looking to do is there's a lot of people who are doing this incredible work of education on a personal level, on a community level. And so what we wanted to do is focus on how they can incorporate it in their work, right? So anyone who's thinking about how can I take this to my work? You know, maybe you're an educator, maybe you're a masseuse, maybe you're an accountant, maybe you're a lawyer, whatever you do, if you want to think of ways that you can incorporate it into your profession, into your industry, this is a good place to start because it gives you that fundamental uh, layer of information. Uh, To your point about children, I would probably do the activities different, (laughs) you know, for a younger audience. But I think that anyone who's interested in just, you know, what is going on, help me just get the lingo down, better understand for myself so that I can make sense of it elsewhere. Um, when I see or when I read an article on my own or I hear a news segment or someone mentions something, it clicks. I have that foundational knowledge of what's going on to say, oh, actually, this is why or that's why. And then once you start to have that on a macro level, you're able to easily integrate it into your own profession because that's your expertise already. You already know how to do what you do. And so this is how can I find ways to do it? And it will come to you. You won't even have to really search too hard, you'll start to think of a couple of ways and then you'll go do, you know, your own research. But this is a good foundational way um, to uh, not, this is a good way to start with that foundational knowledge. So greentakeover.com, we have updates on the latest courses. We have our November course. It's going to be up on the website by Monday. uh, So you'll know when that's coming through. And then also Stay tuned because we do have a hemp literacy course, which is going to be launching launching soon as well. So greentakeover.com or Instagram at greentakeover. Stay tuned. I love it. And when we say, and now you're at greentakeover.com, work with us. How, and I'm looking at one of your tabs, right? One of the tabs is work with us and get certified. Um, but how can people hire you to do these courses or, or do we need to wait? Because it literally came to me, thank goodness, like a like a beacon of light in my email came, hey, would you like to take a carbon literary, literacy course uh, that involves hemp? I was just like, oh, my God, where have you been all my life? But for folks who, who it didn't just like an angel be delivered into their laptop, how can they take the course? So yes, they can come to greentakeover.com to sign up for it. If you want to bring it to your company, to your teams, we do that as well. So we've done some uh, three uh, three trainings last month uh, alone where I've had someone who heard about the course or joined the course and they wanted to get their whole team certified. So if you want to bring it to your team members, you want to make this, um, you know, as part of embracing a, a a mindset of green in your business and finding ways to genuinely integrate this 
way of thinking into the DNA of everything you do, uh, then it's a great way to be able to um, get your team working together around this concept and this interactive workshop. So they will be working together uh, in it. It's fun. It's light, despite some of the you know, heavy subject matter. <laughs> uh, everyone, te- you know, tends to leave happy at the end. So, well, they're um, certainly going to leave happy with your course because your course is the first course to offer hemp as a solution. <laughs> and, and you know, it's, it's this solution based activism and advocacy is really where it's at. You know, I, social media, and we've had these conversations, I think, even throughout the course where just like social media is so not a happy place because it's just, it's such a cesspool. And, People love to just throw out, you know, the world's going to end, send. The world's going to end, post. Okay, well, thank you for that. Uh, could you give me a link to maybe how I could contribute to the world not ending? I mean, I, I, <laughs> I would like a solution here. And, and in fact, um, you know, that's the reality of how I was turned on to hemp at the age of 20 um, was I... I didn't know there was any type of a pathway to a solution. I figured we were for sure going to kill the planet and we were clearly killing each other. And, but that we should definitely, you know, love each other and do the best we could on our way to this inevitable destruction. And, uh, and it is when I was 20 that I learned about hemp, you know, I got a, a flyer from with excerpts from the emperor wears no clothes at a grateful dead show in Foxborough, Massachusetts. And it was just like every cell in my body reacted to what I was reading. Now I don't believe everything that I read, but I will tell you that my actual body reacted to that flyer and, and this, this sort of convergence of a sense of planetary healing and a sense of justice, because I'm sitting there going, wait a second, it can do all that. And it has been a huge part of U.S. and world history. And you made it a felony. This doesn't seem right. You know, so uh, such great stuff. Well, so it's the work with us tab in any event. And I'm seeing here and boy, am I going to have some of my clients be checking this out. You didn't tell us about this in the course that you really are in many ways focused on the largest groups that you can. And I imagine as an advocate, that's because you're getting as large of an audience and can change that many more hearts and minds. Exactly. And that's really where we need to focus on those who can make the decisions that make a difference. Uh, and there are ways to get them engaged in by finding common language, by finding fun ways using levity. I think we need that around this topic, particularly in the world generally, but around this topic as well. Um, And being able to say, hey, this is what you should know. And this is how we can actually benefit you and you and you and you and you and all the initiatives that you are driving. And do you think at some point, and I'm not adding this to your plate, I'm just wondering, because as you're well aware, hemp and carbon credits, I mean, but the carbon credits are going to be a huge part of of moving this re-emerging, quickly re-emerging industry forward. Carbon credits is something that you think at some point as everything gets a little more concrete that you might offer as an educational, maybe just a class, not necessarily a course at any point? Possibly. Um, I don't see anything at the moment, but I think I can see me going into that direction with time because I think there's so much to know. And I think you, you know, like you've been mentioning a couple of times throughout our conversation, hemp isn't magic. It's not going to solve all our problems. We can't just grow some hemp and call it a credit. (laughs) (laughs) We have to look at the entire operation. I mean, you can be emitting X amount or X tons of uh, carb, you know, greenhouse gases through your actual operation and then growing hemp as well. You know, it's a holistic approach that needs to be taken. There's a lot of assurance. There's a lot that needs to happen down this, uh, down the road. So while I'm also skeptical from the side of this being an easy way out, uh, you know, I'm just going to buy a couple of carbon credits and I don't have to change my practices. Uh, it gives those with resources an easy way out. I do think that. I, at the same time, feel that it's a great opportunity for farmers to be able to really get their farms um, in a way that's going to serve them in the long run, sustainable practices that include being able to monetize carbon sequestration. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done before then. So 
We shall see. <laughs> For certain. But man, will I be funneling everybody your way once that gets sort of straightened out and, and able to be made sense of such that one could actually take or form a class in it. Hiba, your work is so important. It's so critical. It has already improved me as a person and as a citizen of planet Earth. I'm just so grateful that you followed your calling and your vision and your dream and what a shining example you are of people who come from a totally corporate background, accounting, and they are hit with an inspiration, or maybe it's an inspiration they've had all their lives, but the timing comes and they make that transformation and they take that leap and look at what you have uh, already created with that dream. Just totally amazing, sister. I hope that you will never stop uh, listening to all of your visions and those voices that have led you to this place. Thank you so much, Joy. It's truly an honor to be here. And likewise, I feel so inspired by everything that you've done. And, you know, you've been you've been at this for quite some time now. And I, you know, applaud everything you do. And I stand in awe of everything that you've done. And I'm grateful to be here. So thank you. And thank you for shining light on uh, carbon literacy and I appreciate you. Oh, right back at you. We shall lock arms and deliver on these dreams, sister. Cannot wait to have you back. And folks, that's greentakeover.com and everything else. Uh, other links that you may wish to find, um, we will have at uh, podconnects.com. But greentakeover.com is how you can get in touch with the amazing Hiba Siddiqui. Thank you so much for being with us. And I'm wishing you everything wonderful, sister. Thank you, Joy. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network. Network.